Well, hey, it's good to have you here at The Crossing today. And uh, if you're new around here, here's what I want you to know, is that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, this is a great place for you to take your next steps. The Crossing is one church that meets in multiple locations. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and welcome those who are joining us, our Southeast Campus, those who are online, our microsites. Glad that you are part of the Crossing family with us. Well, when you came in here, you were given an envelope. Just hold on to that. Don't open it up yet. We'll open those together here in a little bit. But we're starting a brand new series today that I have been praying for weeks, that this will be challenging, life-altering, helpful, and very practical for all of us. Well, Apple announced recently that this emoji right here, this 100 emoji, was among their top 10 emojis used by people in the United States. Now, what this can mean is this can not only mean, you know, 100%, but it also means I agree or it means all in. But the origin of this emoji came from Japan, that when a student aced a test, when they got 100%, the teacher would stamp this at the top of their test. And so this originally had its origin all about test-taking. Well, most of us don't realize it, but every few weeks, we take a test. And it's an area where God tests our hearts, where God tests our trust, where God tests our commitment to Him. That Every few weeks, you probably get an income of some sort. You get a paycheck, or you get an allowance, or you have some investment income that comes in, and every time you get paid, you face a test. And the test is, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Well, we're looking at a story today in Luke chapter 12, and at the end of the story, Jesus says these famous words. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also for where your treasure is. See, we would think that Jesus would say, where your heart is, your treasure would follow. But it is actually the opposite. That wherever your treasure goes, wherever your money goes, your heart follows it. I mean, think about the last time you got a new car. You know, before you got the new car, you didn't care about it, but you got a new car and you started parking it in the back of the parking lot because you didn't want the people at the crossing to ding your doors You started washing it every single week because it was your treasure, and now your heart began to follow after it. Same thing if you buy a stock in a company. You didn't care about that company before, but now all of a sudden you're concerned, how is this company doing? How we manage our treasure, how we manage our money is a heart test. Now, listen, I understand whenever a church begins to talk about money, people get uncomfortable. It's almost as if this topic is off limits, and I understand that feeling. It is because preachers and churches have abused this topic. I need to tell you, it breaks my heart. Frankly, it embarrasses me. I'm embarrassed by it. But part of my job as a pastor is to teach you the full truth of God's Word. And Jesus talked more about this topic than any other topic except for the kingdom of God. So this was a big deal to him. Now, I've been a pastor for 30 years, which I know surprises you because some of you thought that I was only 35. But uh, I'm just a little bit older than that. 
And over my 30 years, here's what I've learned, is that when someone is in a crisis in their life, when someone tells me I need to talk to somebody, 70% of the time, it is about one of two things. It's about sex or money. Shame. My marriage is really struggling. Is it sex or is it money? Shane, I, I got in trouble at work. Is it sex or is it money? Shane, somebody needs to talk to my teenage son. Is it sex or is it money? Okay, we know it's sex. It's a teenage son, so we know it's sex for him. See, we know that these two things dominate our life. Yet in the church, we completely ignore these topics. We don't want to hear what the Bible says about those things. But here's what I can promise you about this series. I want nothing from you. I only want God's best for you, and I really mean it. The reason that I am so passionate about this topic is because it is very personal to me. That Darla and I have seen God show up in our lives time and time again in significant ways in this area. And I want that for you. So over the course of this series, I'm going to teach you God's three-part financial plan that I'm just calling the 100 plan. It's just the 100 plan. And this is so simple to follow. It doesn't matter how much or how little money you make. Darla and I, we have practiced this since the very beginning of our marriage. And it has brought so much freedom. The 100 plan is also called the 10 plus 10 plus 80 plan, which of course equals 100. That the first 10, it refers to the first 10% of your money, and the Bible calls this a tithe. The Bible calls this the tithe, and it is returning 10% to the church that you belong to, the church that you call home, the church that you're connected to. And every time you get paid, you face a test. Who am I going to put first? Who am I going to thank? See, some people want to thank Visa first or Amazon first, or their mortgage company first. But here's what you have to ask yourself. Can Visa bless my finances? Can Amazon bless my finances? Now, it's a blessing that Amazon has free shipping for prime customers, but, but can they bless your finances? We honor God with the first and the best, and God promises to bless the rest. Now, the second part is the next 10, which I'm going to talk about next weekend. This is talking about taking 10% and saving it. And you're going to enjoy this message because I'm going to talk about how to create margin so that you can save for now and for your future. And then the last week, we're going to talk about this 80%. The last 80% is what you spend on your needs. This is what you live on. This is, this is what you begin to live on in your personal life. And I'm going to share with you something that is very personal to me in week three. This plan, the 100 plan, is also called the give, save, and spend plan. It's also called the give, save, and spend plan. Now, I have used this, you know, many, many times over the years. And here's what I want you to understand. Not only are the percentages key to this, not only are the percentages a test, but the sequence is a test as well. That if you're like most people, the sequence is the exact opposite. Because what most people do is they take their money and they spend it, and they'll either spend all of their money or they'll spend more of their money than they actually bring in. 
If their company has any kind of you know, retirement plan, they might save a little bit. And then if there's anything left over, they might give God a little bit. I'm telling you that if you are doing it in that sequence, God will not bless that. God is not going to bless anything that is not first in your life. Because here's what we're saying. We're saying, me first, me second, and God and everyone else last. And listen, if God is not first in any area of your life, you are standing in the way of him blessing it. See, Visa can't bless your finances. Target can't bless your finances. But God can. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy. I I took this out of the Living Bible. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. That he wants to be the top priority. It is honoring God with the first of your giving. See, this represents a heart test for every follower of of Jesus. Now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this message really doesn't apply to you. So you can just kind of sit back and just smile at everybody else who maybe is squirming as we're talking about this. Because this only applies to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Because if we're followers of Jesus, then we have signed up to follow what Jesus says in our life. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. That Jesus In this parable that Jesus is going to tell, he's going to confront this topic of greed and what we do with greed. And here's what it says. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, here's something that you've probably never heard before, a family dispute over money. It's like the old saying, where there is a will, there is a relative, there's, a, there's some kind of conflict that's going on in this family. And so he does what we would do. He goes to somebody wiser. He goes to a teacher. It wouldn't have been unusual in Jesus' time to say, hey, can you kind of listen to this and kind of settle this dispute? Because this guy feels like his brother is ripping him off. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? So Jesus says, I'm not going to take the role of a judge in this situation. But Jesus is going to take the role where he begins to speak to the motivation behind it. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, Jesus doesn't say the possessions are bad. Jesus doesn't say possessions are evil. He's just saying that if you want to find life in your possessions, then you're never going to be able to do it because your life does not equal the abundance of possessions. Jesus says you watch out for greed. This word right here literally means the desire for more. Now, greed is not, greed is not needing what you don't have. Greed is wanting what you cannot get. And Jesus says a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. But if we were honest with ourselves, we don't really believe that. At least that's not how we live our lives. And so Jesus will tell a story to drive home this truth. It says, and he told them this parable. Now, a parable was a made-up story that Jesus would often tell. This didn't really happen. 
This is a made-up story that Jesus would tell to help us understand the kingdom of God. Help us understand how God works. Help us understand God's economy, how God thinks of you. So he tells them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, this story right here that, I, that we come into, this story, this guy is affluent. He's acquired a measure of wealth in his life. And, and this guy in the story is not a bad guy. Jesus does not criticize him for his wealth. I mean, he's worked hard. He's been successful. He says, then he said, what shall I do? I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Notice, he does not plan to do anything evil with his wealth. It's not what the story's about. He just does what he has always done. The more money you make does not mean it will change anything. The more money you make does not all of a sudden mean that you will be more content. The fact that he got more did not make him more generous. It just made him richer. He says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, here's where a lot of us are. If 20 years ago, if somebody told you how much money you would make today, you would have thought 20 years ago that by today, if you made that much money, you would be debt-free and worry-free. And now you make that much money, and you're still discontent, and you're worried about money all the time. This guy, this guy in the story says, I have enough to last the rest of my life. Everything is going to be just fine. But God. Well, what's God have to do with this? This guy is a farmer. Who controls the weather? God does. Jesus begins to teach us that there is an eternal factor to our money. There is something eternal to all of the money that we go through. And maybe at this part of the story, maybe he starts to feel a tightness in his chest. Maybe something is beginning to happen to him. It says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Why did God call him a fool? He didn't call him a fool because he was rich. In fact, God made him richer. God called him a fool because he assumed that his money was only for him. He assumed that his stuff guaranteed him a future. Jesus goes on, he says, Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? God asked him and God asked us the same question. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The answer is somebody else. Somebody else will eventually get what you've accumulated. And it for him is not because he was generous, it's because he is dead that somebody else will get his stuff. And Jesus steps out of this parable and Jesus looks at you and me and Jesus applies this to our life. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See, Jesus applies this to everyone. He doesn't just apply it to this guy in the story. He applies this to everyone. 
He says, this is how it will be for whoever is consumed with accumulating things for themselves, but completely ignores God. And maybe you ask, what does rich towards God mean? What does that mean? Does that mean being rich with my time? Does that, does that mean my prayer life? Does that mean in my serving? Does that mean being in church every Sunday? No, Jesus is very clear. He's talking about financial generosity. The problem with this guy in our story is not that he was rich. The problem is he was not rich towards God. So I want to ask us two questions. And we're going to wrestle with these questions. Because these are questions that are going to get to the heart of us. And we're going to learn how to be rich towards God. We're going to ask these questions of ourselves and go, okay, what does it mean to be rich towards God? And here's question number one. Can God trust me with his money? Can God trust me with his money? See, we talk all the time about our stuff. You know, my house, my car, my, my clothes, my money. But ultimately, see, we don't own a thing. We are not owners. We are just managers. Here's what it says in Psalm 24. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, I did some research. This is a Hebrew word right here. And what this means right here is it means everything. It means it all belongs to God. Everything is God's. 100% belongs to God. See, it's not just 10% doesn't belong to God. 100% belongs to God. That's why we're calling this series 100, that God owns it all. This guy in Jesus' parable never got it because he thought that it was all his. He thought it was all his just to accumulate, to build bigger barns so he could just make storage for all of his stuff. Jesus says no. He was just a manager of what was already God's. So ask yourself again, can God trust me with his money? See, here's how we usually ask this question. We usually ask the question, God, can I trust you with my money? God, here's all my money. God, can I trust you with my money? And God looks back at us and God says, can I trust you with my money? Because it all belongs to God. It is all his. Listen, God is looking for people that he can entrust with his resources. You need to know this. That he who is faithful with a little, but will be faithful with much. God is looking for people that he can entrust with his resources. And God asks us to demonstrate it, that we are trusting him by taking the first 10% of our money. It's called the tithe. It is a mathematical term. And bringing it back to him. Now I realize this takes an incredible step of faith. This is, this is a big step of trust in God. But God asks us to test him in this area. You know in the Bible, it says that we should never test God. We should never put God to the test except for this one area. This is the only area in the entire Bible where God says, test me. Test me and see if I will not bless you. God says that 90% with his blessing goes further than 100% on your own. So literally, this is what it looks like. If you make $5,000 a month, here's what God is saying. God is saying that $4,500 with God is greater than $5,000 without God. 
that when you choose to put God first and you choose to give God the first 10%, God's saying, this is the way my math works, is that 40% with my $4,500 with my blessing is greater than $5,000 without my blessing. Now, this doesn't even make sense to us. Listen, I get this. Try explaining this to your math teacher, and they will tell you why you flunked math. They'll go, this is why you didn't make it the first time. When you give God your first and best, he promises to bless the rest. See, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he says, give and it will be given to you. He goes, here's how it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over will be poured into your lap. But until I prioritize giving as my first priority, God will never bless the rest. So the first question is, can God trust me with his money? Here's the second question. Am I robbing God? Am I robbing God? Now, how many of you have ever had something stolen from you? Just show your hands. Okay, anybody had something big? Has anybody had a car stolen before? Wow, a lot of cars. I hope that didn't happen in the crossing parking lot. <laughs> a few years ago, Darla got her wallet stolen. And before we knew it, this lady who had stolen her wallet charged $1,200 at Target. She charged $1,200 at Babies R Us, charged over $1,000 at Pier 1. She went into the bank. She took out an account in Darla's name, took out a loan for $2,500, and took all of that money and took it herself. Now, if you've ever had something like that happen to you, you know how violated you feel. It took us a year to clean up all of the mess of that. Well, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about a very unusual theft victim. It says this, it says, will a mere mortal rob God? This is God speaking to the children of Israel. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You see, the tithe, the first 10%, it belongs to God. And this is why the Bible never talks about giving your tithe. The Bible always talks about returning your tithe or bringing your tithe because it already belongs to God. You don't give God something that is his. You return the tithe to God. Now you say, how were they robbing God? What was going on? Well, what was happening here with the children of Israel here is the people were getting themselves into financial trouble. They were starting to mismanage their money. They were starting to spend more than they were bringing in, and they couldn't make ends meet. And what they decided to do is, you know what? We've got this extra money that's sitting out here. It was, it was our tithes and offerings that were supposed to go to God. We'll just use that for ourselves to kind of fill in the gap. For instance, this is just a, a totally hypothetical situation, but maybe someone would go to Costco to get a few groceries, and you walk into Costco, and the first thing you see are those big, beautiful 4K flat screen TVs. I mean, it is just amazing when you go in there, and you begin to think at your house, you only have a crummy HD TV. You don't have a 4K TV, and so you didn't plan on buying a TV when you went in there. But before you know it, you're pushing out one of those orange carts with your brand new flat screen TV on it. Well, on the way home, you begin to say, now again, this is totally hypothetical. This, this is just a hypothetical story. 
on the way home, you begin to ask yourself, how are we going to pay for it? You go, well, we'll just take the money that we were going to honor God and tithe to him, and we'll make up the difference. And God says, you have robbed from me. You've robbed me. Now, we would think that the greatest challenge for this would be those who are on the lower income bracket. But studies tell us that is not true. Studies show us that the more money you make, the less likely you are to tithe. And the more money you make, the less that you are generous with percentage-wise. It's like this story I heard of this affluent guy who became a follower of Jesus. And then he heard about the whole tithing thing. And he goes to his buddy. He goes, man, I didn't know about this. He goes, I I don't understand this. He says, I made $500,000 last year. He says, tithing would be $50,000. I can't afford that. He goes, would you just please pray for me? His buddy goes, man, I'd be glad to pray for you. He says, Lord, would you please lower my friend's income (laughs) to the point that he can afford to give? So I want to talk to you just for those of you who are more affluent here. Because I know here at The Crossing, we have a lot of wealthy people at our church. Listen, you have worked very hard. You have managed your money very carefully, and you've done very well. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required, that their responsibility is greater. That's saying that that if God has given you a measure of wealth, then you have a tremendous responsibility. If God has blessed you with affluence, then you have some spiritual responsibilities with your much that God has given you. So here's my challenge. And here's my challenge again. This is just for those who are followers of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can take a pass on this. This has nothing to do with you. This is only for those of us who are followers of Jesus. So here's my challenge, that you would try the tithe for 100 days. For 100 days, you would try the tithe and see if the promises of God's word don't come true in your life. God says, test me. So put God to the test. See if God is good for his word. See, if you remember that that it all belongs to God. See, 100% belongs to God. 100% belongs to God. It all belongs to him. We just take the first 10% and we bring it back and we honor God with that. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's just crazy. I would never do that. If you're in that category, here's what I would just say. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere and begin to give. But for the rest of you, my challenge to you is to try the tithe for 100 days. I was thinking about how to teach this concept that God owns it all. And so I wanted to teach it in a very practical way. So I want you to get your envelopes out. And uh, you can open those up if you want. That, uh, um, hold those up just real quick. Does everybody have them? Just hold them. Okay, I want to make sure everybody has them. Okay, that in these envelopes right here, every envelope has a $1 bill in it. Now, this is not the church's money. This is my money. Okay, I'm not joking about this. This week, this past week, this may be the dumbest thing that I have ever done in my life. This past week, I went to the bank, 
and I got enough $1 bills for every single person in the church. It is a big box of $1 bills. So today's my birthday. I'm giving you a dollar for my birthday, okay? Now, I want you to carry this with you all week long. I want you to carry that dollar with you. I don't care if you have it in the envelope or not. And here's the reason. I want you to feel the tension of carrying someone else's money. I want you to to feel that tension. Now, some of you are going to want to meet me in the lobby, and you're going to want to give it back to me today because you don't want the responsibility. (laughs) Listen, I'm not going to take it because I want you to feel the tension of carrying someone else's money. But here's what I need you to do. I want you to carry it all week long. I need you to bring this back next week. (laughs) I'm not joking. If you don't bring this back, I cannot pay my mortgage and my utilities coming up. My wife, she's very fond of our house. She likes our house. So I'm trusting you with my money. I'm trusting that you will bring my money back. And next week at all of the exits, we will have white boxes. So don't put this in the offering because that's the church's money. This is my money. So if you'll put them back in the white boxes, then maybe I can pay my mortgage. Now, God gives us everything, and he says, bring back 10% to me. Now, I want you to bring 100% back to me, okay? So they said, like, they'd bring a dime. I need 100% back. <laughs> this is just a tangible reminder that everything belongs to God. It all belongs to God. The money in your wallet, it's God's. The money in your savings account, your retirement account, your investments, it's God's. Your house, God's. Your car, God's. The clothes that you wear, it's God's. And we need to feel the tension of carrying God's money. That every time you pull up your bank account online, you need to feel the tension. This is God's money. And how you manage your money is a spiritual issue. Doesn't just mean it's just mine to do whatever I want. It's a spiritual issue. It's God's. You need to feel the tension that everything you have is God's. It all belongs to him, and he trusts us with his money. God looks at us, and he says, can I trust you with my money? And here's how you prove trustworthy. You just return 10% to me. That's what he asks. Listen, at any part of your life, where God is not number one, any part of your life where God's not number one, then you are, you're removing saying, God, I don't really need your blessing. I don't really need your help in any part of your life. See, for some of us, that you have an issue in your life that you've not surrendered to God. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's something else. See, it's saying, God, I'm bringing you all of me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I've surrendered. It's not my life. It's God's. So I want to pray. And maybe as I pray for you, maybe it is you just beginning to to surrender whatever that is in your life. Because maybe 19 out of 20 things in your life are surrendered to God, but there's one part that is not. Saying, okay, God, 
It's all yours. My whole life, it's yours. God, we come to you, and God, knowing that that this area of money, it is so difficult for us. God, it's difficult for me. But God, we trust your word. We want to be faithful to what you have said. God, if there is a part of our life that hasn't been surrendered to you, any part, God, we surrender it again. It's yours. Would you step back in to be the leader of our lives? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a room over here called the Commons. Maybe you just need somebody just to pray with you. We'd love to do that. We're going to take communion right now. And maybe the first verse that you ever memorized as a kid is out of John 3.16 where it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that from the beginning God was a giver. And we take communion to remember that Jesus gave his life on the cross for us. And the bread and the juice, they represent his body and his blood. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us at this time.